Welcome to an inspirational teaching by our guest speaker of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. I'm continuing on the Gospel of John. Started last time. Today I'm going to speak on the wedding at Cana in John chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. That's what I'm going to speak on. Let me read this uh, verses. You just listen to it. If you have your Bibles, that is good. If not, just listen to the reading of the Scriptures. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This is the first of the miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. So, I'm going to speak on six points. The first point is the first sign, the revelation of Jesus. The second point is the wedding. The third point is Jesus and his hour. The fourth point is Mary. The fifth point is wine. And the sixth point is your purification vessels. Six points, I'm going to. So let's take the first point. The first sign, John 2.11. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. So, you know, in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, John uses, he doesn't say miracles, he says signs. Miracles were there to shock and awe people. They said, oh man, what a miracle. 
They were so amazed at his miracles. But John does not use really miracles. He calls them signs, miraculous signs. Signs point out to something. It has a purpose. It is just not to shock and awe. It is to reveal the glory of Jesus. So he uses in his entire gospel, you will find the word miraculous signs or signs. It's just not miracles. Signs. So let us look at John 20, 30 to 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. That means these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So, the purpose of the signs is to show you and me that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, so that you may put your faith in Him, you might believe in Him, and in believing, you will have life. So there is no purpose of the miraculous signs other than these two things. Now, in the Gospel of John, the Apostle sees Jesus using very significant Jewish events, like a wedding, like the Passover, like the Feast of Tabernacles. He uses very significant events. And he, Jesus turns them around to point out to Himself as the Messiah, the Son of God, and to show that He brings life. But what type of life? Abundant life. I have come that you may have life in abundance. Much more abundant life. Not teeny-weeny, not little drips here. No, abundant life. That's the purpose why Jesus has come. And that's the purpose why He is reaching out to you and to me. So that you and I can have abundant life. And he uses all these Jewish events and symbols and festivals in the book of John. John sees it that way, to give you abundant life. These are all signs. So, for example, he heals a man who was born blind. And then he says, I am the light of the world. He feeds the multitudes and says, I am the bread of life. He raises the dead and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Pointing out to himself. So the purpose of the science is what? It's pointing out to himself. So you must interpret the wedding at Cana in that manner. So the wedding, the main point of the wedding of Cana is Jesus. The main point of the wedding at Cana is not about wine. It's not about Mary. It's not about intercession. It's not about a wedding. It's not about anything else. It's not about anything else except it's about Jesus. That He is the Son of God. 
so that you might believe in Him and have that abundant life which He wants to bring. And if you make this particular part, the wedding of Cana, anything else but about Jesus, you have missed the point and you have misrepresented Jesus in this passage. You understand? If you're trying to get something, oh, it's a wedding over here, it's wine here, it's the Mary, Mary, you know. If you start looking at that and making that the main point, you have missed it. You have missed it completely. But more sadly, you have misrepresented Jesus. Alright? And that's, and that's unacceptable. So let us come to the point number two. The wedding. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to that wedding. Now, you see, I told you, Jesus comes to certain important Jewish events, and he turns them around. Weddings are important events. In any community, weddings are an important event. In any family, a wedding is an important event, and especially in the rural communities. I don't know whether you have seen weddings in the rural community. In the weddings in the rural communities, of course, there is the ding-a-pata-ding, all the all songs and all. That's, that's there. You know, that's there. But you'll find, you know, in their simplicity, all the gifts are displayed. Somebody has given them a steel cupboard, and that is displayed, and they carry it. And, you know, it's so simple. But this Jewish wedding was very simple. It was something very similar. If you have seen the movie, you know, The Fiddler on the Roof, the, you know, the butcher, he gives two chickens. I have given two chickens. So that's, that's the rural community. And Cana was just about uh, 10 kilometers, I think, 10, 15 kilometers north of Nazareth. And Nazareth was where Jesus lived and his, par you know, his parents lived there for so many years. And so just 15 kilometers away, it's like from here to MG Road and back, it's 15 kilometers. You know, it's so close. So he, they were all known to the family. And this family was fairly well-to-do because Jesus, uh, his mother was called. Of course, his mother was there. Uh, and Jesus and his disciples were called. Now, you see, you see, you call somebody over here, Charles, you know, why don't you come for my daughter's wedding? He said, and bring your friends also. So, I mean, that's quite large, isn't it? And you this wedding at Cana, Jesus and his disciples were called. So maybe, first of all, they wanted to honor Jesus, but they also had some money. This, this, uh, this uh, bridal couple had some money because they could call Jesus and his disciples. Do you understand? So you must see the setting. And of course, they had six jars of stone jars of water. So that means there was a lot of washing of hands and you know, purification rites were there. Six is a lot of water, so there must have been a lot of guests. So that's, that's the setting. That's the setting. But you know, a lack of wine is equivalent. You go for a wedding in our culture, and your mother says, we, they have no sambar. I mean, it's, a, it's absolutely something that is 
They have no sambar. They have no sambar. You know, it's something because wine was so much the culture of the Mediterranean people even till today. In fact, they had no Coke, they had no Pepsi, they had nothing else but water and wine. I'm just telling you, that's the situation. There was no coffee, there was no other drink but water and wine. That's all. That was the setting. And so having no wine was actually a sad thing, actually a disgrace of that family, of that bridal couple. It was a sense of disgrace. They have no more wine. Now, next point. Jesus and his hour. John 2, 4. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Now, the word time in the Greek is hora. Hora means hour. Right? Is time a right uh, translation? It's not a bad translation. But the new NIV will say hour. My hour has not yet come. And hour in Jesus' is it's an hour of destiny that I am going to go to the cross. And that's why I have come to this world. That's the purpose why I have come. So whenever you see the word hour, in the timetable of Jesus, it's always, they could not arrest him because his time or his hour has not yet come. They tried to grab him, but they could not because his hour had not yet come. And in John 13, when he was, he said, now, now Father, the hour has come. When I'm going to the Father. The hour of my glory has come when I'm going to die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. So the hour is important. He says, and so he's telling, he's telling Mary, he says, dear woman, why do you involve me? Now, one thing more I want to tell you, this word dear woman, in the original, there is no dear, all right? It says, woman, why do you involve me? In the new NIV 2011, there is no dear. It is, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. In the new NIV, it is, my hour has not yet come. Now, you must interpret, always interpret the Bible, any verse with respect to the whole Bible. Never take one verse out and make a doctrine. It's always take the whole Bible and see what the whole Bible is saying. Now, the whole Bible says three things about Jesus. He's a gracious person. In Psalm 45, verse 2, he says, You are the most excellent of men. Your lips have been anointed with grace. So Jesus was very gracious. The second point about Jesus, his desire was only to do the Father's will. Nothing else. So in John 5, 19, Jesus gave them his answer. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Another, John 8, 28. So Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am whom I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. In John 12, 49, 12, 49, he says, for I do not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So Jesus is fully submitted to the Father. So fully. 
Absolutely. You must interpret now this whole setting with knowing who Jesus was. Jesus was a gracious man. So when he said woman, he didn't mean something derogatorily. He didn't put her down. That in our language, when you, you meet a person, you say, sir, good morning, sir. You know, you, the word sir is a, it's not a part of disrespect. It is something which is of respect. And if you meet a woman, you say, hello, ma'am, welcome, ma'am. So it's just a tone of respect, right? So when he says woman, it does not show any disrespect to his mother. No, he could have said, Mama, why are you worrying, asking me about sambar? You know, he could say that. He said, what have I got to do with sambar? You understand? But he didn't say, Mama, he said, woman. Okay? Uh, and you see, he, he, he used this word, woman, even at the cross. When he was dying on the cross, he didn't say, Mommy, I'm going, Mom. Bye, Mom. John, take care of my mom. He didn't say that. He said, woman, behold your son. He tells his disciple, behold your mother. So, you see, Jesus did not use sentimentality. He always was conscious of his father's will. Always conscious. Now, it's nothing to... We should not tell our mother, woman... By all means, honor your parents. But never allow your parents to manipulate you. You understand? Because you must love God far more than parental love. He says, you know, unless you hate your father, mother, brother, sister, your wife, children, even your own self, you cannot be my disciple. So there is a place to honor your parents but never allow your parents to influence your decisions for God, for God. All right? When it comes to God, your heart must be consecrated. So that's what we learn from here. But he was always respectful. You must understand, he was never ungracious. All right? The third thing about this particular point is, he was conscious of the hour. In John 7, 30, as they tried to seize him, but no one could lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. John 8.20, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple and near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. In John 12.23-25, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The hour has come for him to give his life so that you and I might have abundant life. John 12, 27 to 28. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify yourself. Glorify your name. John 13, verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the hour has come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. The hour is something that Jesus knew the purpose for why he came. And so when, when Mary told him, he said, they have no more wine. He said, woman, I mean, well, that's, you know, 
My hour has not yet come. Did Mary understand what he said? I don't know. I don't think she understood. I don't think she understood. But you know, something about Mary. I'm going to talk about Mary. So let us go to the next point. So John 2 verses 1 to 5. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. What was she doing there? She was probably serving. She was there, you see, in John 2 verses 1 to 5. And Jesus and his disciples had all, as also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. How did she know that? She knew it because she was there, most probably serving. Most probably she knew the wedding, I mean, the bride, the host, the bride and the bridegroom. She probably knew the host. Right? So Mary, Mary was there. She was probably a close relative or definitely a close friend. Now, I told you that Jesus addressed Mary as a woman, and that is not an offensive word. Now, the third point, Mary knew Jesus was from God. You know how she knew it? Man, she got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, she could not have had any doubts about it. You know, she knew it. She knew it deeply that this child, this son of hers, was from God. She knew it. And she knew enough of Jesus that he would only do his father's business. She knew it. Even from the age of 12 when he was lost. She said, where are you? He said, don't you know I'm doing my father's business? She knew it. She knew her son well. You see? But you must remember that Jesus, more often than not, worked through people who had faith. Jesus probably knew that there was no wine, but he always wanted a person of faith. Everywhere, you see, except in one case, the widow at Nain. Besides that, he always worked through people of faith. In the case of the widow of Nain, he just said, he couldn't bear, couldn't bear crying, and he raised her son. But otherwise, always, he used people, through people, people of faith. So if Jesus has to work, he will work through your faith and my faith. Right? He needs you, and he doesn't need us. He can do without us, but he chooses to work through us. We are co-laborers with Jesus. Right? So that's, that's the overall picture. So, Mary, when Jesus told her, my hour has not yet come, she most probably didn't understand this word hour. But she, one thing she knew, she knew a God moment. A God moment. And sometimes we also experience a God moment. You know there is something that God is interested in. We know it in our hearts. A God moment. And I believe Mary knew there was a God moment. And how, what did she do? She says, to, she said, do what he says. You know, the centurion, when his, when his uh, servant was sick, 
he sent people to Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm coming. He said, don't come. Just say a word, and my servant will be healed. Now, the centurion showed greater intercession than Mary. You understand? Because there were so many people. The Canaanite woman, she persevered. Abraham persevered for Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. We can learn a lot of intercession from those points. But from this point, it's very difficult to say that Mary was the perfect intercessor. I'm sorry, I will do disrespect to Jesus, you know, but I will say she is the woman of great faith because she said, do what he says. Just like the centurion said, don't come, just say the word and my servant will be healed. I'll take you on your word. In fact, this particular verse, do whatever he tells you, is the last words of Mary in the Bible. It's the last words. There was no more she ever spoke. Do what he says. And she sensed a God moment. She was a woman of great faith. She was a blessed woman. She said, be it done to me according to thy word. She received the word of God. You know, I don't want to show any dishonor to Mary because she is called blessed. Throughout the ages, she will be known as the blessed. You know, when the people said to Jesus, your mother and brothers are there outside waiting for you. Jesus did not run and say, mama, mama, just wait now. He says, who are my mothers and brothers and sisters? They who hear the word of God and obey it. Mary was the one who heard the word of God and obeyed it. Right? Yeah. Blessed is the person who hears the word of God and obeys it. Mary was blessed because she heard the word of God and obeyed it. So here, I want to honor Mary in the sense that she is a woman of faith. That's all. That's all. Now, let us go further. Wine. Next point, wine. Now, wine, wine was an alcoholic drink. Okay? And that was the custom in the Mediterranean lands till today. Now, as a pastor, let me tell you this. I worked, I was a sailor, once before that. And as a sailor, I drank a lot. But when I became a pastor, I was dealing with people of very difficult backgrounds. And for their sake, I wouldn't touch a drop, lest I cause that person to fall. For their sake. Until today, of course, I'm not, I have a retired pastor. Now, but till today, if I see a person who has an alcoholic problem, I will not touch a drop. Why? For love's sake. So that I don't be a bad example to others. I don't be a bad example. So, I think all the apostles were sipping saints. You understand? <laughs> Nothing wrong in being a sipping saint. Right? But make sure you don't cause the fall of somebody. And that's a responsibility I would really uh, put on your shoulders. Right? You must not be a bad example to a recovering alcoholic. Don't touch it for his sake, out of love. And pastors especially, you know, if you are in pastoral authority, I would really advise you, at least that's the thing which I did. 
because I was dealing with all types of people. And I said, for their sake, Lord, even though it's permissible, but it's not beneficial. Right? Okay. Now, wine is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of joy. He says in Matthew 9, verses 16 to 17, no one sews, sews a patch of unshrunk cloth and an old garment, for the patch would pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wine skins. If they do that, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. Now, they pour new wine into new wine skins, and both are preserved. So wine is symbol of the Holy Spirit. In this parable, Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit. But it's a spirit of joy. He gives oil to make my face to shine and wine to make my heart glad. It's the spirit of joy. Right? So, Mary's statement, now it's important, they have no wine, is much more than saying they have no sambar. Right? You see, Mary said they have no wine could be a prophetic statement. You know, Caiaphas said, you know, Jesus must be killed for the sake of the whole nation. It was an unintended prophetic statement that the Bible says that. Mary says, they have no wine. It's also a prophetic statement of the end of Judaism. They have no spirit. They have no spirit. You know, sometimes you go to a church and you don't see the presence of God there. They have no wine. And all their rituals, everything is empty stone, is stone jars filled with water, but not with wine. And sometimes, even we take our own devotions for granted as a ritual. And there is no wine in that. So we need to be always alert. And I'm going to end on that later on. But we need to be always alert. Do we have wine? Do we have wine in our lives? Because Jesus has come to give us wine. So Jesus gives us abundant wine. There were six jars, each between 20 to 30 gallons. So just take an average 25 gallons. But 25 gallons, each gallon is about 4.2 liters. Just take 4 liters. Now you work the mathematics over there. It's 600 liters. Each bottle of wine is 750 milliliters. So that's, you know how many bottles? 800 bottles of wine. That's a lot. 800 bottles of wine. Jesus brings abundant wine. You see, he doesn't say, okay, how much wine do you want? So many guests. I think about 10 bottles should be insufficient. No! Jesus comes to give you abundance. He's a God of abundance. Abundant wine. They have no wine. I'll give you abundant wine. Point number six. Purification vessels. Nearby stood six stone water jars. The kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding between from 20 to 30 gallons. Now, these stone jars are not clay jars. Clay jars were not used for 
ceremonial washing. Why? Because clay can be corrupted. Stone cannot be corrupted. So therefore, they were using stone jars. Oh, big jars, right? Now, ceremonial washing became a ritual. The Jews were full of rituals, but they had no wine. They were full of, they were empty rituals. And it was not blessed of God. You know, in Matthew 15, verses 2 to 9, you know, they asked Jesus, your disciples don't wash. He said, ah. He says, he said, what are you guys talking about? You, are, you guys do the external things, but in your heart, you don't honor me. In your lips, you don't honor me. You sing those songs, but they, you don't honor me from your heart. And you know, my brothers and sisters, that's the lesson for us. If we come over here, and we don't engage with God deeply from our hearts, and I'm going to come to, come to something over here. You will have no wine. And Jesus is there waiting. He says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If anybody would open his heart, I will come in. And you know, when I come in, I'll give you abundant wine. And so many of us are born again. But there are compartments in our hearts. The Spirit of God is here. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is knocking. Maybe in our finances. You're filling your income tax. And Jesus says, can I come in? No, 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 Jesus, you wait outside. Let me fill my income tax first. It's okay. I won't come in. And then you come over here and worship God and jump and dance. No wine. Maybe you're watching some things on your TV or on your computer. And Jesus is knocking. Can I come in? Yeah, I said, no, Jesus, not this one. Let me watch it. It's okay. I won't come in. I won't come in. Can you come here and worship God? Your stone jars filled with water. And maybe you, there is a relationship problems in your heart. Some problem. And Jesus, can I come in? Ah, he says. <laughs> you don't understand Jesus. This guy, he needs that. You stay out. He said, okay, I won't come in. And that part of your heart is close to Jesus. And maybe you've got a critical spirit. You always find some faults here, there, this, that, this, that. And you're probably right. But God says, and look, that kind of spirit. <clears throat> and me, we don't mix. Can I come in? No. <clears throat> no, you don't come in. You stay out. I know there are so many instances we tell Jesus stay out. And Jesus wants to come. And he wants to give us that abundant wine. That abundant wine. And I can tell you, my dear friends, examine your heart, because Jesus is knocking at the door. And this particular incident, the wedding at Cana, speaks to us. Not about Mary, not about this. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus and the life that he comes to bring. 
So that's the story about Canaan. The new wine that he comes to give us. The renewal. But you know, whole churches don't want him. They're happy with their rituals. They're happy with the songs they sing. Great is thy faith, O Lord. And the whole church, the presence of God is not there. And he's knocking. But you stay out. Stay out. The change is too, too difficult for us. And so much of our, we need to be careful. Even when you and I are reading the Bible, don't read the Bible without engaging your heart with the Lord because He wants to come inside. When you read your Bible, even in your devotions, say, God, I want you. And I want to open every aspect of mine because Jesus comes with abundant life, abundant wine. I'm going to end. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, not even in stone jars, corruptible jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I'm going to close. Open your hearts. Where's my friend, my dear song singer, John Victor? Is that John Victor's here? Uh, is he here? Yeah. Ah. What a minister of God. Really. I wish I could sing like that. I'm a songer. You know the difference between a singer and a songer? <laughs> the singer is the one who can sing in front of others. A songer should only sing in his bathroom. <laughs> I'm a songer. Singer, please come up. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what song you sing. Open my eyes, open my eyes. It's an old song. All right. But open your hearts, my dear friends. Let the Lord come in. I don't know which part of your life is closed. Whether your finances, whether your relationship, whether some worries. Maybe you're concerned about certain things. Jesus Cast your cares upon me. I care for you. I'm coming in. I'm coming in. I want to come in. Maybe you're battling about something or the other. Jesus is here. He's come to give you new wine. Yeah? He's come to give you new wine. For listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.